beginning our Easter series as we're building up and making our way towards Easter and then a little bit beyond in our new series. The uh, We're going to be going through an I Am series. And uh, in fact, if some of you know that throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes what most would consider seven I Am statements. And those statements are definitely there, but I've found that I think there are really eight. And we're going to be looking at that eighth one that some people may not consider, but I believe to be very foundational uh, for the other seven I am statements, the ones that you may be familiar with, where he says, I'm the bread of life, or I'm the light of the world, I'm the resurrection and the life, so on and so forth. But for our time this morning, as we begin and launch into this series, we're, we're technically going to be in, in looking in two passages. So hopefully you're there in John 8, and that's where we're going to read here in just a second. But so that way you're also ready to turn when it's time. We will also be in Exodus 3 a little bit later on. So if you want to go ahead and find that and put a put a marker there so that you can turn and follow along quickly when we get there, just to kind of give you a little bit of a, of a heads up. But now let's look at John chapter 8, and I'm going to begin by reading just the last two verses of this chapter and this, this conversation that comes to an end of Jesus and a crowd. And listen to what he says in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, here it is, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Join me in prayer. Father, as we come into your presence this morning, I pray that we would have the ability to, to hear your word, that we would echo and, and, and be able to live out what Jesus is even mentioning earlier in this chapter, that, that we who are of God would hear the words of God. And so, Father, I realize that for all of us, we have things in our life that are going on from last week that we're looking into and forward to this week. Uh, but, Father, I pray for just this moment in time that we could give our focus and attention to you. And so if you're online with us or if you're sitting here in the room, would you pray for yourself right now? Would you just ask God to give you ears to hear and a mind to understand what he's saying to you today? And if you'd be so kind, would you pray for me that I'd be a help to you and be able to clearly explain and articulate what we're looking at here today? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you about someone, someone by the name of Rick. Uh, Rick, 22 years old, graduated from East Central University in Ada, Oklahoma. Uh, a big fan of the University of Oklahoma and their football team. His dad is actually a, a pastor. Um, he's also someone who has been focusing on a counseling degree, played quarterback in high school, and most importantly, he owned a television. That was, that was probably the most important aspect. And with Rick, Rick is someone that I was introduced to before I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary to get my master's degree. And I can remember literally going into the dorms for the first time in my life. I didn't do the dorms at college. And I was given just kind of a rundown of a sheet of information about who Rick is. And I found out his age, and I found out where he graduated from. I found out what he was going to be studying while we were at Southwestern Seminary. I found out a whole bunch of different things about Rick. But what was interesting to me is I had this information about him, but then the relationship began to develop. 
I get a phone call from a random phone number in, from the state of Oklahoma, and I answer it, and it's Rick. And as I begin to talk to Rick, I begin to understand, oh, you have a colored television. That's fantastic. I have one too. It was an 18-inch television. It was a big deal. And so we're going to have two televisions in our dorm room. I found out that his dad's a pastor. I'm getting a little bit more information about Rick. But when he finally showed up, and I showed up, and we were there in the room together, we said, hey, let's, let's go and worship together this Sunday. And then afterwards, we went and we had a meal together. And we went to, uh, I think, on the border. And we, we literally sat across the table from each other, eating some chips and salsa. And as we began this conversation, we began to reveal things about ourselves to the other person to where I began to not only realize that Rick is 22 years old and that Rick graduated from East Central University, but I began to understand this is a man of great humility. That this is a man who has a very tender and empathetic heart. And as we continue that relationship, I continue to get to know him better. And I begin to live life with him to where no longer did I just know information about Rick, but I began to know who he actually was, who he actually even is. He's not dead. He's still around. And so I began to develop this relationship to where living life with him. I was in his wedding. I've been a part of the birth of his children. I've been able to, to live that life with him. I've been able to, to be there in those high moments, but also in those incredibly low moments of where he went into different times of ministry where, frankly, he was uh, uh, kind of emotionally and verbally abused in one scenario, went to another situation. He was pretty much neglected, went to another situation, was betrayed by one of his closest friends. And, and I'm walking through that with him. And what what began as a, an acquaintance and kind of an impersonal uh, relationship and just casual conversation, over the course of time, as I would sit down from him, I began to really know who he is. I began to understand some of the private things of his life because when you get to sit across from someone and truly engage with them and relate to them and they reveal things about you, or about themselves to you, they begin to unpack those unseen things that maybe you can pick them up if you go onto someone's social media page and you're like, I, I know this person, but you don't. You just know about them. You, you, you haven't began a relationship with them. And the reason why I share that is because in, in just literally uh, uh, two words in the English language, Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 8, verse 58, that if you don't have it, have it underlined. Jesus is unpacking an unseen truth about himself to a crowd, but also to all of history. He, he's declaring, and this is, this is the one main point that we have today. I don't have a lot more. This is it. It's that Jesus is the great I am. Jesus in this moment is, is proclaiming to be deity in the flesh, to be God in the flesh. I mean, this is a big deal. And so if this is our only point, here, here's a question that I would have for you, is, is what are you going to do about the statement? And what are you going to do about Jesus? And do you truly know him? Or do you just know about Jesus? You have a, a, a Bible trivia of information about who Jesus is because you grew up maybe in Sunday school or you've been to a Bible study. You've gone to church from time to time. You've picked up different ideas from different sources and you're kind of throwing them into your brain and into your life of this is who I think Jesus is. But do you know him? So that main point, that one point that we have is this, Jesus is the great I am. He proclaims this. But here's the two questions I want to ask and answer today. The first one is this, who am I? And the second one is, who is he? 
Who am I? And then the second question is, who is he? In light of what he's proclaiming here, we need to ask and answer those questions. And to give you a little bit of context of this conversation that Jesus is having before this crowd of Jewish individuals is you don't have to turn there, but you can if you want. But he's been having a conversation with this crowd throughout basically chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. And there comes a point in John chapter 8, verse 31, where Jesus is speaking with this Jewish crowd. And he's speaking, it says here, to those Jews who had believed him. And yet what he's about to do and what we're about to read is even when you get to verse 44, he, as he's having this conversation, it begins to get a little tense and even a little bit uncomfortable if you were there. It's like, man, Jesus, what are, you, what, are you just trying to stir the pot up a little bit? But he's, he's simply trying to just speak the truth. Even in verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil. What else does he say? Look at verse 47. Look, let's read verse 47 of John chapter 8. As he's continuing this conversation again of those who had believed in him, he says, he who is of God hears the words of God. We, we just prayed that for ourselves this morning. I hope that's the case for us today. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, listen to this. Do, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan, which would have been kind of a racist comment to make toward Jesus. It's very derogatory. That you are a Samaritan and have a demon. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Well, the Jews answered and said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? <laughs> Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad, and this just befuddles them. They say, the Jews said to him, you're not even yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. And what we just read a moment ago, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they pick up the stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Real brief observation of what's going on here. I imagine you're probably picking it up yourself, but to kind of put it in a nutshell, here's what the crowd is saying of Jesus. And this is just a few. They're calling him a Samaritan and a demon. They call him a demon two different times. They say he's not greater than Abraham or the prophets. And what he has said has incited such rage within them that they go from maybe even murderous thoughts to murderous intentions. They're not picking up those stones to say, ooh, you see this? I'm going to throw it at you. Like they, they want to kill Jesus for making this statement. But this is what Jesus says of the crowds. He says, you cannot hear my word. Your father is the devil. You are not of God. 
And I'm not a liar like you. <laughs> not very seeker friendly, is it? <laughs> it's Jesus just laying down the truth of the reality of who he is, and he's not going to apologize for it, and he's not going to compromise the truth. He's not looking just to stir up the pot. He wants them to know the truth because, as he even says earlier the, 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 in this passage, the truth is what's going to be what sets you free. I, I want to be honest enough with you. And so when he comes to the culminating point of where he says, man, I know you guys revere and you love Abraham and the prophets. You guys are God-honoring, God-fearing individuals, but you're losing sight that God is in your presence because you're so focused on your past and on your tradition that you're not seeing what is in front of you. And so he begins to use their own argument against him because they're the one who, who kind of is, is bringing Abraham in. He, he, he basically says, man, Abraham was glad to see me. And this just throws them off because they're like, you're not even 50 years old. And when he comes to make the statement, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. The question that you might rightly be asking, at least I think it's a good question to ask, is why is him saying I am such a big deal? It's because Jesus in this moment, again, it's about knowing him, not about him. Jesus revealed so much about himself in this moment. And so it elicited this kind of response because these are God-fearing, Bible-loving Jewish individuals who know their scripture and their minds are immediately jumping back to a time when God gives his name to Moses. So jump with me over to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to be, and then we'll be back in John 8. But Exodus chapter 3. Some of you have been with us in our MPA or Mission Point Academy series that we've been going through the Pentateuch. And so some of this will be a little bit of review for you. You're a little bit ahead of the game. But for others of you, uh, I, I hope that this is something that will kind of bring to light what is going on. What happens in this story, to give you a little bit of context, is the people of Israel are now enslaved and in bondage in Egypt. They cry out to God for deliverance, for help. And at the very end of Exodus chapter 2, what's the beautiful thing about God is that God says he heard their groanings, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, he sees them, and he knows them. He's going to move to action to be their deliverer. And he's going to use the person Moses to make this happen. Moses is going to be his instrument or his tool for this to take place. And so what happens is, is God presents himself to Moses out in the wilderness. Moses is just doing his thing. He's kind of tending some sheep, just doing his thing. And then all of a sudden he sees this bright glowing thing and he comes and he sees that there's this bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And then even more startling than that, the bush starts talking to him. And so he begins to have this conversation with the burning bush. Some of you know the story. And as he's having this conversation, he's kind of overwhelmed. You know, he takes off his shoes. He's on holy ground, so on and so forth. Look at verse 9. It says, Now behold, the sons of Israel, uh, this is God speaking, Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And now verse 10, Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. He was like the king of Egypt so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Underline that if you don't mind in your Bible. Who am I? 
that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he, God said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So this is our first question. Who am I? Moses has been called on a mission by God. And in this moment, Moses, is, I'm sure, is a little bit startled, a little bit scared, confused. I mean, there's a burning bush talking to him, and it's the one true God. And what he does is when he gets called out by God to go on to this mission, Moses asks that question that we all actually ask, we just may not articulate it this way, of who am I? Who, who am I to do this thing? But even more deeply is we all ask this question of just, who am I? It's one of the key questions that we ask as ourselves as individuals throughout any and every society for all time is trying to have an identity, trying to identify who I am. I mean, it's such a huge thing right now of, of people wrestling with even just the, the most basic of biological issues of gender identity, of who am I? It is a real issue. It is a real question that we ask. But here's the issue. Here's the key. What Moses is doing is he's asking, I think, naturally, the first question that he would want to ask, who am I? But Moses, just like us, we are all very self-involved and self-interested in me. I want to know about me. I want to ask the question about me. Who am I? What is my identity? So it's a very self-centered, self-focused question. And what I love is God's response. Did you see there in verse 12 is Moses is saying, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. That's his answer. <laughs> he doesn't go into, let's talk about you, Moses. He says, I will be with you. Let's get the focus off of you. I'm with you. And so to me, the, the, the answer of what we're about to discover as we get into the second question is, we never know who we are until we first know who he is. We never truly know who we are until we first know who he is. So it's a good question, who am I? I want to figure out my identity. It's a great question. But we're not going to really be able to appropriately answer that question until we first know who he is. So now what Moses is about to do is he's actually about to ask the greater question without maybe even realizing it, but he does. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, Okay, you're with me. <laughs> you didn't really answer my question. Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, but now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, here it is, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So at this point, Moses is now asking the question, Okay, who are you? If you're going to be with me, who are you? If you promise to be with me, then I want to know who I'm living life with. Who's going to be journeying me? Who's calling me onto this mission? Who are you? And once we begin to ask, I think rightfully so, those identity questions, 
because we are self-involved and self-focused, we are often going to start there of who am I. When we begin to wrestle with that identity issue of asking and answering the question, who am I? I think it will eventually lead us to, man, as I think about who I am in the grand scheme of things, I'm, I'm only going to maybe breathe breath and have my heart beat on this little blue ball for who knows, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, maybe less if there's an accident of sorts or some kind of health issue. And when I look at history before, and there's going to be stuff going on beyond me, and there's just this little blip of time that I exist, like, who am I? And if you really allow yourself to go down that hole, (laughs) you begin to realize, man, I am small, kind of insignificant. It can actually be a crushing endeavor to begin to ask and answer the question of who am I? in the grand scheme of things. And as you do, it tends to kind of draw you to, well, if I am here for such a brief amount of time, what else is going on? Hopefully it begins to lead you down that path of asking those other questions of, well, who's God? Is there a God? And and how do I respond to that? Again, you don't truly, uh, when we begin to truly get to know someone, and we begin to ask that question, who are you? They, they reveal information about themselves. They reveal who they truly are so that not only they reveal who they are to you, but once you begin to have an idea of who they are, now you can relate to them and begin to understand them. It is interesting what's so powerful in a name. I hope the names that I'm about to mention don't offend anyone in any certain way. But for me, think about this. Do this own activity in your mind. When I hear someone's name, because there's power in a person's name, when I hear someone's name, I immediately think of how I've related to them in my life. I have specific impressions or memories or thoughts or even judgments begin to spring to mind. For example, to this day, I can hear the name Waylon and immediately bully. That is a bully. Fortunately for me, I ingratiated myself to the bully and never got bullied by Waylon, but he was a big old bully. And so when I hear the name Waylon, I'm immediately like, I know you're not Waylon from second grade, but man, I'm going to keep my eye on you just in case because you carry that name. Same is true with the name Justin. No offense to anyone named Justin. It's a great name. But when I was growing up, man, there was this big nerd named Justin. And I was just like, I kind of had this idea of what that looked like. But, but, but think about this for you. When you hear the name Judas, do you think, my firstborn, that's what his name will be, Judas? No, you immediately relate to that name because there's power and identity of that name. If you immediately go traitor, that's what I think of immediately when I hear that name. For us, when we hear the name I am, when we hear the name Yahweh, what begins to come up into your mind and into your heart? What do you begin to think of? When God is revealing his name, he reveals so much about himself. When he says, I am to Moses, I am who I am, he's he's relating not only himself to Moses in this moment, but he's also going to be revealing who he is and relating who he is to the people of Israel, but also to you and me today because it's in Scripture. He's continuing to show who, who he is and how we think of the one true God. That name, I am who I am, Again, this will be the review for those of you that have been a part of MPA. I am who I am. It's just taking the verb, the Hebrew verb to be, and and it's, it's becoming a name. And the beauty of this name is, think of it, I. 
even saying I, just take out the am, I is a personal pronoun. Like it's, it's personalized. It's not that we have a distant deity. We have the God of creation who's engaged and involved with his creation and he relates to us. Even in his name, the focus is relational and personal. That's our God. He knows you. Remember what he said when he heard the cries of Israel? I, I know them. I see them. I remember them. I hear them because our God is involved and relational. That's huge. Think, think of what we just went through in our study in Acts of how all those idols, more idols in the city of Athens than men, and these lifeless stones that had no engagement with them, and our God chooses to engage with us, be relational with us. And then the other part of that word, I am, am has this idea of to be, to be present. It's, it's delivering to us that our God is existent, he's eternal, he's outside of space and time, he has no past, he has no future, he just simply is because he is, I am, I'm just present. This is his divine name, Yahweh, to be remembered for all generations. This is his memorial name. And Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. This riles up the crowd because they know their Bible. They immediately go back to the story of Moses and they're recognizing he is claiming deity. What arrogance from this man. And what's interesting about this is something I'd never noticed before is look at John chapter 8, verse 25. This is earlier in their conversation between Jesus and the crowd. But something I'd never noticed before as he was talking to them at this point, they were saying to him, who are you? They're even asking the question, who are you? Jesus said to them, what I have been saying to you, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? And he begins to explain himself, reveal of who he is just a little bit more. So much so that in John chapter 8, verse 30, it says many came to believe in him. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. And here's what's interesting to me. These individuals who are claiming to believe in him are later wanting to murder him. They're wanting to kill Jesus, and they feel like they have the right to do so. They call him a demon. See, what happens is they had an idea of who Jesus was, and they had placed him in a box. And they were thinking, this guy that's talking to us, we've seen him perform some extraordinary miracles. He seems to be a man of God. He seems to be a great prophet and teacher. And they began to keep putting these ideas of Jesus into a box. And what they believed was the Jesus in a box. But when Jesus burst out of that box and said, I am God, they didn't like that. Here's a question for you. Do you put Jesus in a box? Don't give the Sunday school answer. And don't give the self-deprecating answer. But do you put Jesus into a box, into an idea of who you think he is, of how you want him to relate to you? 
Because we have lots of different sources of how we want to maybe identify or describe Jesus. And we have different sources of culture and entertainment and TV and movies and Sunday school and church camp and VBS. We have all of these ideas and we're like, this is who Jesus is. This is how I understand Jesus to be. And so what I want to do is I just want to ask you to kind of go through a learning exercise with me is I want you to, to begin to to answer this question maybe in your, in your mind, and maybe even put it down pen to paper, is ask this question, who is God to you? Who is God to you? I'll be honest with you, I'm tricking you. It's an impossibility to answer that question. The second you begin to answer that question in your mind or with pen to paper, then you are beginning to define who God is determined by you. I don't so much care who you think God is. I want God to tell me who he is. God has the authority to define who he is. You don't. He's the one who is revealing himself to say, this is who I am, and this is what you need to know about me. We don't have that authority. I'll give you four examples. Some people will say, well, to me, again, very self-involved, I'm the authority. To me, he is love. No, 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 no. He is love, not because you want him to be in your box of who he is. He's love because scripture says God is love. 1 John 4, 8 the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love because he reveals his love through scripture and he relates to you love in everyday life. Other people might say, well, to me, God is gracious. No, he's gracious because scripture says he's gracious. That's the authority. Psalm 116, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. He's gracious because he reveals his grace through scripture and he relates grace to you in everyday life. Or maybe this, to me, he's good. No, He's not good because you say so. He is good because Scripture says, Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. He's good because He reveals His goodness in Scripture, and He relates His goodness to you in everyday life. Last one. To me, He is holy. No, He's holy because Scripture lets us know He is holy. Isaiah 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy because he reveals his holiness through scripture and he relates his holiness to us in everyday life. So his holiness, his goodness, his grace, his love, they are not these some mystical, ethereal ideas or notions. It's not this idea. It's not the force. It's not make-believe. It's not because I want these to be so because this is what I want my God to be in my life. No, no, no. Jesus, instead, he is love, grace, goodness, and holiness because Scripture is the authority, because Scripture is God's revelation, his word of himself to us. In the same way, with my good friend Rick, I could say, Rick, man, you are, you, you are just an arrogant guy, and you can't, do, you can't throw a football. And he's like, uh-uh, I will show you who I am. I will demonstrate to you in everyday life my humility. And I will throw a football so hard it will bruise your hand. And it happened. It hurt so bad. And to me, 
He is revealing to me who he is. But what we want to do is say, well, this is who I want God to be. I get to, answer, I get to ask the question and answer the question, who is God to me? It doesn't matter who he is to you. It just matters who he is and that we adjust our lives around what he has to say about himself. Because if we don't, we become arrogant and we become the arbiters or the authority of what it means to define who God is. John Calvin says it this way, and I like it. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's why, friends, it is so important and precious for you to get into his word because this is what he's revealed about himself for you to know. Is it all-encompassing? No. We can't know everything about God. There's mystery to God. But this is what he's wanted us to know about who he is and how we can relate to him. So you get into his word. Sometimes we're like, oh, well, this is, you know, God's, this, this book is like a, you know, a, a book of how to live your life. And it's kind of like a, a life book, a guidebook. No, it's a book about God from God so that we can know God according to how he wants us to know him. Get into the word, study it. Again, it's not a matter who God is to you, rather simply who is God. We don't get to define God. Only God has the authority. The lesser does not get to define the greater. So why is it important to take time to study this issue? I ask myself this question. Why are, why are we going to take the time to look at the issue of I am? Why do we need to look at the idea of God revealing and relating himself to us? Because here's the thing. I know many of you, and I know your stories, and I know of your walk with the Lord. But again, be careful that you're not putting Jesus in a box of how you want to define and relate to him. But, but the other thing is this. As I was praying this morning, I was like, Lord, may we get a glimpse of the grandeur and glory of Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, and that would affect us. Because what you don't need more of is you don't need more, I don't know, like, moral moral authority in your life, moral, it's, it's a fancy word, moral therapeutic deism. You don't need more of what the world can offer. You need what he has to offer in order to how to live your life appropriately. And so when Jesus comes to this point and he claims to be the great I am, the people, they pick up the stones and yet these same people, it says that they believed in him. This is what I would say, the difference in knowing about God and knowing God knowing about Jesus and personally knowing Jesus. From what I can tell, it seems that they believed about things about Jesus, but they didn't believe in Jesus. People will say, I believe in God. Most give an intellectual assent that there is a God. Some will even say there's one God. Some will even say there's the only the one God of the Bible. But when you study scripture, you can get into James chapter 2, and there's that familiar verse in chapter 2 of James where he says, you believe that there is one God, you do well, the demons believe also, and shudder. It's not a matter of just some intellectual assent, it's, it's knowing him. And they thought in this chapter, they thought they had an idea of who Jesus was. They learned some information about him, observed some things about him, but when he revealed the truth that I am God in the flesh, man, it, it set them off. So, you believe in Jesus, but do you know him? You see the difference? You do you believe in Jesus, but better yet, do you know him? And maybe best yet, does he know you? We don't have time to go down that path, but there's enough scripture of, man, does he know you? I know he's omniscient, he knows all, but does he know you as a son or daughter? Does he know you? 
and Jesus declaring he's the great I am. As we wrap up, God revealed and related himself to the world in Exodus chapter 3 in his encounter with Moses when he gives him his name. And it's a very profound way, a very awesome way in which he's kind of getting a little bit closer to his creation. But it's also setting the stage for when God does reveal himself in the most magnificent way by taking on the form of a man and becoming a part of one of his creation. Again, do you believe and know that Jesus is this? There's four major Christological passages, very Christ-centered, like deity of Christ passages in the New Testament. First one is John 1. In John 1, to kind of summarize, it's saying that Jesus is eternal. It says that the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. He is eternal. He's outside of space and time. He is God. In Philippians chapter 2, again, Jesus is eternal, but he's that eternal being who is willing to stoop from the glories and the grandeur of heaven to come down on earth and become a part of his creation so that he might redeem his creation. That's our God. That's who he revealed himself to be. Colossians 1.15 lets us know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You want to see who Jesus is and what he looks like or who God is? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Then you'll see who God is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature. What does all this mean? It simply means this, that Jesus is greater than a prophet. He's greater than a teacher. He's greater than just this good guy. He is God. And once you begin to identify that according to what Scripture defines about who Jesus is, then you begin to have an idea of who you are in comparison to him. Because again, you never know who you truly are until you know who he is. Do you know him? Not about him. Do you know him? So we're about to have a time of response and we're going to sing. I think there's like four verses that we're singing. Can I just urge you for the first couple of verses to think about who Jesus is? Not just who is Jesus to you, but who is Jesus? Maybe in your mind's eye or in a piece of paper, not according to how you would define it, but what you've studied from Scripture, how would you just answer that question, who is Jesus, according to the Word? And as you do so, as, 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 as Lauren sings and as we have a time just to, to worship and song for, for the concluding of our time, ask that question, how do you relate to the great I am? Do you, do you come to him on your terms or how he's revealed himself in scripture? Because if you'll come to him on his terms, it will affect the way that you come into this place to worship and when you go out of this place to live your life. It will affect your attitude, your conversations, your choices. When we truly know who he is, he affects you. He moves you. He changes you. This isn't just trying to get more Bible information about God. It's he's changing our life. How do you relate to him? And then the next thing is, do you personally know the great I am? Do you know the person that is Jesus? Have you ever confessed and proclaimed him as your Lord and Savior? Because until you come to him and you begin asking questions about him, studying him, considering him, you'll never know who you are. He'll reveal exactly who you are when you begin to ask who he is, because he's going to show you your need for him. He's going to show you that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And you're going to see, wow, he is good. He is holy. He is gracious. He is loving. 
And today can be the day that you come to know Jesus, not about him, but know him and relate to him, have a relationship with him because he's making himself known to you today. Today could be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus. For some of you, it could be a day where you're like, man, if he is in fact God in the flesh and I claim that I believe him, I, I'm going to follow that in my life. That's going to be my North Star. That's going to be my compass. That's going to be the direction of my life. Not out of legalism, but because he is God and, and that's just moving in my life. So before we sing, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless your time of response. Father, I pray that again, this just wouldn't be more information that we gather up about who you are. That it's not just going through the series of being like, yeah, I know that. Father, forgive us for our arrogance when we have an idea that we think we know all that we need to know about you. God, forgive us of when we continue to put you in a box of how we want you to operate within our lives. I pray that this morning, right now, as we've taken in what your word has said, that we would begin to process what you've said. That we as individuals would evaluate and perhaps even confess and ask for forgiveness in areas of our life where we've had the audacity to want to put you in a box and tell you this is how I will relate to you. Father, forgive us for that. Help us to see you for the glory and the grandeur of who you are. Help us to be humbled and moved by the reality that is glorious and, and grand as you were. You, you were willing to stoop from the comfort and the glory and the splendor of heaven that you might dwell with us to sweat and to bleed and to, to cry and to mourn and to die that death that we deserve because of our sin. That's who you are. Mm. Father, I pray that because we get a glimpse of who you are today, that it affects us tomorrow and this afternoon. Help us not to go through the motions of religion, but to live out a relationship with Jesus, the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand? Again, they're going to sing a few verses. Man, spend at least the first one just focusing on who God is, not to you, but just who God is, and be moved and humbled by that. Just spend some time talking to God before you guys leave today.